When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Football Writers Podcast. My name's Mike Calvin. I'm joined by Adrian Clark, the tactical analyst, and Seb Stafford-Bloor, editor of TIFO Football. Suppose we better say this six times for effect. Liverpool are European champions. It's an historic achievement, a sign that English football is about to dominate. But the season's not quite over. England play the Netherlands on Thursday with a potential Nations League final on Sunday. Whisper it, should they win it? (laughs) Probably, on paper. I think it's quite a wide-open tournament. Um, not much to choose between any of the four nations, but but player for player, England have the strongest squad there, I'd say. They certainly have the most depth. It depends, doesn't it? We saw in the Champions League final and in the Europa League final that this gap at the end of the season had definitely impacted on the quality of the football. And often, when internationals are played at this time of the year, um, it can take a while to get going. You, there's no time to get going here. Is there? There's just two games or one game potentially to get through to the final with a chance to win it. So, so look, I, I'm not holding, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced that it's going to be spectacular for England, but they've got a good chance of winning it. And why not? You, you've got to be in it to win it. Mm. What about the potential relevance of it, Seb? It's hard to know, Mike, because it's the first time through this competition. I think I, I look at the, the relevance in the abstract in, in England's performances up, in, in getting to this point, um, maybe after Thursday we're talking about something else because Holland are an aspirant nation themselves. They're in the sort of, uh, you know, they, they've, they've gone through a reset and have emerged better the other side. But I think my memories will all be winning in Spain, obviously. Uh, that game against Croatia um, at, at Wembley so soon after the World Cup semi-final. You can kind of chart England's progress under Gareth Southgate through this tournament. So I'm interested. I mean, I, Adrian's absolutely right. I, I think the gap to, from the end of the season removes a little bit of the context. Also, because of the Champions League final and how many English players have been involved in actually both finals. Uh, Ross Barkley only, only joined up with England yesterday, I think. So we're, we're dealing with a little bit of a fool's economy here. But it's been a, a tremendous positive, regardless of what happens from this point. Yeah. I think what struck me, speaking to Jaden Sancho recently, about the new generation, which is obviously he represents, they have confidence because of what they've achieved at youth level. And it's, they've got like a why not attitude. Why can't we win the World Cup? Absolutely they have. And, and they're right to have that attitude. I think for too long in this country, we probably didn't have that, that, that mindset, did we? This generation are used to winning things. They've been through major tournaments at youth level and prevailed. And I don't think you can ever have enough competitive matches. And 
I love the Nations League for that reason. I think that having these matches that did mean something, there was a relevance to each contest, it sharpened up the players. It, it, and, and these games will matter to the players. OK, it won't be the end of the world. Their, their careers won't be defined by not winning the Nations League or even by winning it, but it can't do any harm to play two competitive matches at a little mini tournament, come out on top. It's got to put you in a good frame of mind for the challenges to come. The important ones, which are at the Euros and the World Cup, and, and this crop of players, they... I, I think many, many fans here in England are starting to believe that they do have what it takes, talent-wise and character-wise, to win major trophies with England. I can't ever remember saying that. So it, it's mm. remarkable, really. Yeah. The nature of the players who are coming through, there does seem to be a discernible difference. It's they're more comfortable in their own skin, to be honest. And whereas England used to be almost like a paranoid experience, it's actually now something which they, they're very open about. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly the impression I get. They're, they're kind of the, um, what you get off them is that all of that fatalism from the past is kind of old man nonsense, which they don't have time for. Yeah. And actually, you can see it in the way they play the game. I mean, I, I think for a long time, this country bred players who uh, were components they could mechanically do things. Now we've got a generation coming through who are loaded with expression. They're not inhibited. Um, and the, the, big, the big phrase that sort of Dan Ashworth used to use when he was at the FA was problem solving. Um, and you see that. You see a sort of a um, player with a, a slightly higher footballing IQ that can deal with different tactical systems and who can make the jump between club football, where they play 4-4-2, you know, 3-5-2, to England, where it's a, you know, there, there's sort of this, this almost a... So it's kind of a, a 4-2-3-1. And they don't seem to have the difficulty assimilating to that, which is really interesting. When St George's Park was uh, built, I, at the outset, I was thinking, well, it's just a, yeah. it's just a fancy new training Me complex. Too. What's, Me too. what's yeah. the big deal? But I was wrong, and I think a lot of people were, because what it has, is having a base where all of the coaches from all the different age mm. groups are, it's just made everything joined up thinking. And, and you do get Gareth Southgate mixing with the coaches of the under-18s, the 19s, the 20s. Yeah. Even in, in school holidays, the 15s and 16s are there mm. throughout half-term and the Easter and the summer holidays. They're there training. So from 15 upwards, it's all one big family. Mm. Yeah. And that has to be a positive. And it's interesting because coaches from other sports are coming in there now. So they're adding to that sort of, of mix. It's, they're learning all of the time and they're, they're, they're stealing one another's best ideas mm. and someone like Jaden Sancho has been involved in that setup mm. for years so he, he he might be playing for the senior team but he's not overawed by it he's not just been chucked into the lion's den it's something he feels very comfortable in because he's, he's worn the badge and been around the building for so long with the same people so yeah it's it's coming to fruition I'm, I'm so 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 pleased that we we built this facility. Mm. In that context, actually, the under-21s, the Europeans uh, this summer, is going to be a very interesting signpost. Absolutely. If you look at the talent in that squad. Remember, I, I, went, um, I went out with the under-21s in 2017, where it was an OK team. Um, there were a couple of sort of players who might play senior football. Now you look at that side and you think 75% should be senior internationals within the next couple of years. And you think that is, if you compare that England team in terms of talent, but also their exposure um, to, to Premier League football, to Championship football. You think, if they don't come back with a trophy, that's going to be quite disappointing. And it's been a really long time since we... I know we're quite an insular nation football-wise, and so we all say, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go and walk that, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put three or four past France and Germany. 
in previous generations, that's just been that's been nonsense. Now you think this is a very talented side. They 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 go they go to Italy this time with the same sort of reputation that Spain took and Germany took to Poland last time around, which yeah. is a huge difference in just two years. Mm. Anyone, I'll take all what you said, Adrian, about the context of these these two matches. Mm. Have, for instance, uh, Rashford and Lingard got something to prove after such a terrible season at club level? Uh, I think Gareth Southgate is able to differentiate between the two because when you're a manager, you look after players that have, that have done well for you. And I think that Southgate is able to do that. It's, it's part of what I was just saying in, in terms of Rashford and Lingard have been part of the, the group for years and years, haven't they, at St George's Park and with the, with the junior teams. So I don't think having an off three months is going to destroy their international careers. Mm. Obviously, form's important. Um, I think Rashford will be fine. He, 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 might, he probably needs to be the spearhead of Man United's attack next season for his career to take off. Lingard, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where his, his future lies. But, but yeah, they could do with a good tournament. But no, I think Southgate can, can see the bigger picture. What about the Dutch? Um, are they reaping the, the IX dividend, if you like? It feels like it. I remember watching a, um, a Dutch performance when they were coached by Danny Blint uh, a couple of years ago now. And it was shocking not because they lost. It was shocking because of how little expression there was and how, little, how, how few of the qualities that we, we associate with typical Dutch football existed within that side. So I think there's two things. I think kind of um, the spirit of um, you know, what that group of Ajax players um, represents and it's also a very important core. So you've got De Ligt as a centre-back and De Jong in midfield is probably going to be you know, a Ballon d'Or winner of the future. But then there's also these players that kind of, again, they're not inhibited. Memphis Depay, I know he's not everyone's cup of tea as a, as a, as a professional and there's a little bit too much ego there. Potentially, probably shouldn't be releasing music videos and autobiographies at 23. However, that's more of what you want. You know, great Dutch sides have always had players like that who aren't afraid to take risks. Mm. And I think now they are, they're, a, they're a proper threat. Um, if not in 2020, then certainly in 2022. Yep. They're, yeah. a, they're a really good watch. They, yeah. they fundamentally make sense and they entertain you. They're, a, they're everything you want from a, yeah. from a Dutch side. Yeah. And, and almost like Ronald Koeman has been rehabilitated through uh, this, hasn't he? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And he, well, he's excited, isn't he, to work with a, a group of young players that are so talented, Van der Beek. Yeah, there's another one that's, that, yeah. that's really gifted. It's built on the probably the best central defensive yeah. partnership around, isn't it? Mm. De Ligt and Van Dijk. I mean, uh, that, that is an awesome combination. Um, in front of them, De Jong, who, as you say, is, a, is, is exceptional. I'll tell you, right, I, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a player like De Ligt. Not, you know, just as a, as a set of attributes, but someone who has the aura that he does as a teenager. It's a quite extraordinary. Well, you know when you, you, you go and uh, do the, watch the under-10s and they're going through the old birth certificates. I mean, delict. I, mean, <laughs> I, I want to see his. Seriously, I'm not having it. Yeah. He can't just... He can't be a teenager. He's way too... Um, too much of a mountain, both as a, as a talent and a, and a character to be that young. But, but yeah, he's, he and Van Dijk, that, I mean... They can carry Holland a long, long way, I would imagine. Yeah. The other game in, in the, sem- the other semi-final is um, uh, Portugal-Switzerland mm-hmm. on the Wednesday. Anyone that we should be looking out for, do you think? No, we, well, this is the interesting thing with Switzerland. Every, every, every time I see them, they're, they're kind of the same in composition. They're, they're, they're quite, a, um, they're quite a, a banal list of individuals. And yet they're, they're one of the most functional sides on the continent. Shakiri is the obvious one. He will always stand out. Um, Harris Safarovic will play. I, I don't think I dislike a footballer more in, in Europe than I do him. I just, he's like, I'm sure he's, he's the nicest boy in the whole of Switzerland. However, 
as a forward, it, it, he baffles me. He just he doesn't really score goals. He never really looks. He's got five in four in this thing, like in this for Switzerland. I, I see the statistics and they don't make any sense to me because he's just he he seems such a, an impotent centre forward. Um, Speak but, well of you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I never see him in a mixed zone anytime soon. However, uh, yeah, it, it, it works, and I think that kind of characterises what Switzerland are and really what they have been for some time. Yeah, but you know, if you look at the names, don't leap out no. of the page. But someone like Fabian Shah went to Newcastle yeah. for three million quid from uh, De- Deportivo, probably the bargain of the season. Yeah, no, he's been really good, hasn't he? Uh, injuries have sort of got in the way, halted his progress a little bit. But no, he's a he's not just a good defender, uh, Fabian Shah. He's a, he's a very good distributor of the ball, so he can he can he can pass short and long with with real accuracy. But yeah, Switzerland are the are stronger for the sum of the parts. That's, that's always been the case, really, mm. with them. You could you could probably say something similar about about Portugal if you take Ronaldo out of it. They've always just been solid, haven't they? I suppose so. I mean, the, 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 I'm, I'm excited about Portugal because they've got this kind of this developing generation. Yeah, that's true. I think all roads lead to Jao Felix, of course. But yeah. it's just uh, it's interesting. They're a um, you know they're growing. I, I mean, I don't want to lumber them with a kind of a golden generation mm-hmm. tag. That's not really fair. But he is a. He's a special, special player. He's a reason to watch just by himself. Yeah, he got yeah. that hat-trick against oh. Eintracht Frankfurt was fantastic. Yeah, he, he's really gifted, what isn't he? It's, it's frightening, really, how, how, how talented he is. He can score different types of goals, um, score with his head, both feet. He can create as well. The quality of his end product. We, in yeah. those key moments yeah. where you, you're asking, can, can I deliver that final ball or, or pick out that bottom corner? He does. Yep. He does it a lot. So he is a superstar of the future, no doubt. I'd like to see... Ruben Neves maybe be given a bit more of a, a chance mm. at international level. It's sort of been a slow journey for him uh, with a senior team. But yeah, Portugal are in, in pretty safe hands, I think. Yeah. I suppose the, you know, the underlying question of it is how on earth are the Tottenham and Liverpool players going to come to terms with this? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've been watching... They'll be there in sort of body only, won't they? Well, especially the Liverpool players. I mean, I've been watching <laughs> some of those celebrations. And I have to believe that a few of them will be worse for wear. <laughs> Tottenham, it's a different issue. I think we saw on Saturday that Harry Kane is nowhere close to being mm. match fit. Should I, he have been taken off? It's a hard one, Mike. I, I think Pochettino was damned if he did and damned if he didn't because... Um, People have kind of, because of Lucas Moura's uh, semi-final performance, they've kind of ignored everything that Moura did to that point. He's had a very up-and-down season. He's been very, very patchy. And a semi-final hat-trick alone is not enough reason to to leave out someone of Kane's standing. Um, I have no problem with it, because I think that Kane has an enormous psychological effect on that group of players just by being in the dressing room, being in the side. Um, he didn't play his best, but I wouldn't attribute... Tottenham's loss in that game to, to anything he did. No, I wouldn't. Um, there's all kinds of... I mean, it's a different if he discussion. Wasn't, if he wasn't Harry Kane, I, I would have started him. I think it was right to start yeah, him. Yeah, me too. But I think based on what you saw of him and couldn't get into the game and was clearly not sharp, I think if it's anyone other than Kane, he would have got the hook within an hour. I agree. Um, I agree. So, so, in yeah, a way that, you know, Klopp uh, oh, for Mino, he, he might have, uh, yeah, exactly. But he might have done Gareth Southgate a favour because he's given, uh, got some more miles in the legs for Harry Kane. So he's not going into this tournament completely unfit, is he? Mm. He might be knackered. It might have taken him a few days to get over it. But, but yeah, look, if by, by the time he plays his third game, hopefully the final of the Nations League, Kane might be nice and sharp again. So, so yeah, it's probably worked okay for Southgate. Mm. Just want to dwell for a moment on both managers in that final, Pochettino and Klopp. Um, I thought the respect between them, and actually, funnily enough, the respect between both sets of fans was fantastic. Are they the two exemplars 
in the Premier League of modern management? I think so. I mean, tonally, um, you know what's refreshing, Mike, is the contrast to the kind of the old Wenger-Mourinho rivalry, mm. where it used to be snipey and nasty and unpleasant and um, at, at certain points almost libelous. Um, the respect was great. Um, They're the, best buds now, though. They seem to be. There's a, there's a genuine <laughs> yeah. affection. Well, you, well really, I couldn't believe that when I saw it. I just, I thought you sort of. They're, 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 I, I thought it would be. Um, I thought it was a composite that someone had done on Twitter. Yeah, I couldn't believe they got I, in the I, same studio. They must have been paid a lot. Good to be put <laughs> in the same studio. But look, sorry, sorry and, for but, Well, I, I, um, I mean, it, I, I think what they represent, which is a kind of a. Um, a more organic sort of development of their sides. Mm. Uh, I know money has been spent by them at different points, but I think what they've achieved, I mean, you can, achievement in small letters for Pochettino because it's a, a losing Champions League final, but I think they represent a contrast to the spend, 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 give me £150 million in every transfer window, otherwise, you know, I'm going to leak to the press kind of management. It's that, and I I, I, um, I remember watching that game and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Spurs fan, so I was heartbroken obviously and I sulked for a good 24 hours afterwards but I was sad for Pochettino he deserves to be a champion for what he's done and he deserves to win an award like that um, and, and I think that speaks quite highly of, of who he is as a person and you know what he's bred at his football club and, and the example that he's really set elsewhere I, I think it's for the good of the game yeah, they, they've got good empathy haven't they with yeah. players as well yeah. I think players like them as, as people well you as can people. see it yeah you? you can absolutely see it and, and what we learned about Pochettino in the build up was that he's a little bit bonkers as well what with yeah. the lemons in his office yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just drawing in the negative energy I mean come on um, <laughs> I love and, the one about uh, the, the arrow yeah, to the, the throat in the, in the windpipe yeah. snap, snapping arrows walking on the hot coals is not a new thing yeah. but the fact that he, he, he did it he said yeah you saw that he was a little bit they were bonkers. There's a part of him that's... At the You're spell. really old school, aren't no, you? No, but I like it. No, I really like it. And, and I love Klopp as well in terms of his personality. Yeah, the fact that he, he, he was clearly hammered, wasn't he, on the, on the parade. He <laughs> yeah. didn't care. Um, <laughs> which, was, which just it makes it even more endearing, doesn't it? We saw the Pochettino in the, in the dressing room, didn't we, after the semi-final. I won't, I won't replicate what he did. But it was, <laughs> it, was, it was funny, wasn't it? And the players would have loved it. So, so these are guys that, that get, get on with young men. And they can inspire them, and uh, yeah, that I, I, I like them both. And it, it was a shame one had to lose in a way. Uh, personally, I was glad. I was glad there. Glad there was Pochettino. Yeah. You know, you know what's you know really interesting about those two guys is that sort of everything I read about them, um, sort of one of the kind of the the subtext of their reigns at their respective clubs is, is the way they treat not just the footballers, yeah. the people inside the building. Yeah. So canteen staff, uh, support technical staff, cleaners. You know, they, um, I've just finished reading uh, Rafa Honigstein's book about Klopp and um, they're talking about sort of, you know, the way he, he made sure within weeks of arriving he knew every single member of the staff's name in the building at, at Melwood. And I thought, that is, that's a nice story. And, and I think, um, you know, maybe, maybe being a touch romantic about it, there isn't quite enough of that in football sometimes. And uh, I like that kind of... Um, sort of uh, holistic, I know it's a, it's a terrible, terrible way of describing it, but it's nice to see people like that who stand for those things rise to the very top of club football. Yeah, and, and uh, by making it feel like a family, and every manager yeah. tries to make a dressing yeah. room feel like Some a family. Some try harder, don't yeah, they? Exactly, you know, some try yeah. harder. These two clearly try... They well, it was that image of that. him yeah. with Henderson, and yeah. they were both in tears, and it yeah. was just... Yeah, I get it now. I get how this, this team works. this is the reason, or one. this is one of the reasons why they will fight that little bit harder maybe than other teams. They, 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 will, they will chase, they will push themselves to cover their teammate or to get themselves into the box for the manager for the greater cause because 
the greater cause is something they're so happy to be a part of, not something that they're just, you know, that, that means very little to them. It's, uh, yeah, having that family vibe is really important and Liverpool and Spurs definitely got that. Yeah. Let's look to the future and, and so let's start with Tottenham. Yeah. My, my hunch is, and I'm, you know, I'm not alone in this, is that Daniel Levy needs to support him heavily financially. Otherwise, it could all turn pear shape. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's uh, justification behind that. I think um, one of the reasons uh, Pochettino has been giving these quite vague answers in press conferences about his future is because he understands the politics of the situation. He understands that he's a man in, de in demand, that he would appeal to almost any club in Europe. I'd say absolutely any club in Europe outside of England. Um, and he's entitled to that backing. I mean, there is, a, there is a slight fallacy here that's been around for a long time in that sort of Daniel Levy has, at different points in the past, offered him funds to improve the team and Pochettino has declined to use them. So I, I think it's more an instance, I'd refine that and say, it's very, very important that if Pochettino wants a specific type of player, that Daniel Levy can't get him a player who sort of looks like him and maybe has the same haircut. You know, the kind of the old, um, you know, Federico Fazio situation from a few years ago. You can't do that. You've got to give him what he wants and you've got to put the sort of the, the financial package in place to do that. I don't think Pochettino is a manager who, who's going to bang his fist on Levy's desk and say, I want £300 million or I'm going to Juventus. I don't see it as being that simplistic. It's a give him the tools that he requires that suit his type of management. But it is, like you say, it's critical that he gets that now. There is, there can be, if Pochettino is allowed to leave as a result of some of that, if he wants a sabbatical, different situation, that's, you know, that's, that's his thing and I'd say he's probably earned it. But if it's a, a lack of backing issue, Daniel Levy will never get forgiven for it. Um, whether that's fair or otherwise, that's that's just the reality of it. So it's yeah. very important, yeah. And, and so conversely, looking at Liverpool, yeah. they're talking. There's already talk of a, an extension of Klopp's contract. Is he in a, a situation where he can build a dynasty now? Well, he's got every chance, hasn't he? I, d I don't think there's any inclination on his part to to move on to pastures new. He's in his dream job, I would imagine. And yeah, why can't Klopp stay there for 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 five to ten years? Why not? I I think that he's he's got a young team that could get better doesn't need any obvious improvement uh, there will be top-ups here and there I think uh, you're looking at a creative midfielder and a striker mm. I would say I say Firmino could be upgraded and fullback for, and cover maybe, for the maybe, ball maybe cover for one of those absolutely players. cover for the for a left back uh, mm. for Robertson who for me is the, is the best back Gomez will, will make that transition absolutely. into the yeah. regular team absolutely. won't he yeah. Gomez will either be the, net, the the partner for Van Dijk or the cover for Arnold or, or someone to compete with Arnold so yeah they need a left back a creative midfield someone that will get into the box and score goals but also play those slip passes that sometimes that they lack Liverpool. Boy, did we see that um, from both teams, actually, in Madrid. Um, the standard, it was one of the lowest standard uh, finals I've, I've ever seen, but not that it really matters now. Adrian, did, uh, did the pitch look dry to you? Yeah, it did, actually. Yeah, I, I, yeah, so I spoke to a few of my friends who were in the, in, in the stadium, and they said it was, it was bone dry. It was, like, yeah. um, it was like rubber. And it did look like they were playing on Velcro at different times. And I think, um, yeah, that's a, that's you know, fatigue was probably an issue. The gap between the domestic season was probably an issue. But there just seemed to be, you know, both, those two teams want a slick pitch. Yeah. We, we know this. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making excuses, which they No, I think, I think that's a valid point. I haven't heard anyone say that, but, but it's, it's absolutely true. But, yeah, no, Liverpool, the, the future is incredibly bright, isn't it? Why would anyone... Really want to leave there. That's that's mm. where I'm, I know. In the past, that Suarez wanted to go because of well, Barcelona. South American players yeah. do have that affinity but, but, with but, with the Barcelona. I think Van Dijk is the obvious one here. If Real Madrid or Barcelona came knocking for Van Dijk, 
is there now that that want on his part that like I have to go? Or does he feel that well, we're champions of Europe? Yeah. Which I play for the best team or one of the two best teams in Europe. City might just be the best team in Europe. Um, I, I'm already at the top of the tree. I don't have to go there. I think that's what this success has done for Klopp's team. Mm. It's ensured that these guys think, wow, I'm, I'm at the pinnacle here. Yeah, because it's interesting looking briefly at the Spanish press this morning. You know, there's a story coming out that linking Coutinho to PSG. Now, if you think Liverpool effectively got Van Dijk and Alisson yeah. for Coutinho, which is can't be one of one of the deals of all yeah. year, all time, uh, he might be a warning sign to people as well, mind you? I'd have thought so. I mean, I, I, that transfer even now. I mean, it's just the financing was terrible, especially when you consider things like the, the the pressure that was already within Barcelona's wage bill when it was when it was completed. It was just a it was a panic. Um, I don't. Funny, Van Dijk is one of those players that you think, right? If, if he was in any way available, how much money would it actually take for, for someone to prize him away from Liverpool? I just I don't think there's a fee. And like Adrian said, he, I, I want I want a player like that to say, I understand what Barcelona, Real Madrid, all of them are. I understand that what they were. I'm a European champion. You know, the same goes for Spurs. I don't want to hear Tottenham players this summer talking about, well, I need to play a level of the game. If you want more money, come out and say you want more money. That's fine. Mm. But don't say it's a level of the game issue because you're already being catered for in that regard and you're already being put at the very on the very finest stage that club football has to offer. Yeah. Um, and Van Dijk's the same. Van Dijk is, you know, it would take a preposterous financial offer. Yeah. Presumably from a PSG. It's Salah as well. It's yeah. like it's like if they offered him half a million pounds a week, no, and Liverpool yeah. say well, we can only give you half of that, but but we want to make you a club legend here. Then the, the choice is simple, isn't it? Mm. Uh, and it's up to the, the individuals if they want to take the money or, or or not. But the big picture now is that that the English clubs, the English giants, are better teams than the Spanish giants right now. Mm. So I don't think there will be this exodus. You mentioned City. What will their response be? Because there will be a response, won't they? Yeah, yeah, there has to be. But I think they will also look at it and think, well, we, we beat Liverpool to the league. We are probably slightly better than Liverpool. There's no reason why this group of players with the odd little bit of tweaking here and there can't do it. I think it's just, uh, it's just about delivering on, on the big nights, isn't it, for, for City moving forwards. The loss of company, I think, is huge. I really do. I, he was the go-to guy. Yeah. At the end of last season, when 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 push came to shove, he wanted his best players on the pitch. He chose Vincent Company, and he's he's no longer there. And I think his loss to the dressing room and to the the spine of the team is going to be massive. And either someone's going to have to step up to the plate, or they're going to have to sign someone in the Van Dyke mould. Could it be Delict or someone like this? A, a, a real world class centre half to step in. Otherwise, they're weaker, aren't they? And and Fernandinho is mid-30s, so they, they, have, to, they well. have to upgrade yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, the David Silver one, I think, is fine, because sooner or later, you, you have to unleash Phil Foden. And I know that he's not David Silver at the moment, but he might be. So um, I, I, I'd be less worried about their creativity issues. Mm. It's, it's having a, a left-back, a centre-back to replace company, but also a leader. And, and, and someone to, to prop it up in midfield. They saw those three out. They're going to be fine, aren't they? I thought it was interesting they turned down, was it 71 million nearly from buying that yeah. bid for Leroy Sane. Were you surprised by that? Yeah, a little bit, because um, it doesn't seem as if Sane is trusted fully by, by Pep Guardiola. He's worth more than that, though, isn't he? I think it's probably worth more than that. To me, I see it as, a, as Bayern's reaction to the Callum Hudson-Odoi situation. I mean, obviously, 
Ribery and Robin are off now. Um, they've lost two sort of era-defining legends. Um, they need to replace players of that of that style. Um, Hudson Odoi was clearly the one they wanted um, because he's a long-term, decade-long solution. Sane feels like a kind of a smart. He's a German. It makes a lot of sense. But 71 million in this market for that kind of player is not nearly enough money. So yeah, I mean, um, it it might well be a sort of a mini saga, Mike. I mean, we might be hearing about this in July and August. I hope not, but uh, it has that feel. Well, to what it. was interesting about Sane is for me, he has the potential to be the best winger in the world. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I just think, look at him as a talent. He's I mean, physique, so physique, yeah. pace, mm. skill, Finish. finishing ability. Yeah. I mean, I can't quite get my head around the fact that City might be able to let him go. The issue must be upstairs. It must be within his character. Something that Pep doesn't like about him, or doesn't trust about him, and that that might hold him back in his entire career. Not just at City, he might go somewhere else, and it it, it could fall away for him because you need to be exceptionally strong mentally to to make the best of those talents. Don't Jürgi you? Love saw it as well. Obviously, left him out of the last yeah. World Cup score. Yeah. So there's something there. There's a, I don't know if it's, it's pronounced as a red flag, but there's something that somebody, that, that, that these coaches identify in him as a, as a weakness. Mm. Let's talk about the release of winning a trophy, uh, Chelsea. Will that have any impact on what's going on there at all? Or is it just almost incidental? I have no idea what winning a trophy feels like. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I Thank goodness. Oh, dear. Uh, old <laughs> graves. Um, I, it's a very strange situation, Mike, isn't it, yeah. Chelsea? I, I mean, it, it seems like a kind of... It felt like an ending. It felt like a kind of, right, this is a sort of a cursory bit of goodwill that we've been able to, to engender at the end of what has been a really nasty season, just politically. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it's Chelsea, isn't it? And Chelsea... I remember writing in my... I, I did a, on the whistle piece for this, and I remember writing... One of my last lines was, I think, like, you know, they've had this dreadful season. I can't remember a season which contained more fighting and politicking and bitching and, and rumours and, and he's going to sack. Game, mate. Yeah, and then they walk away with a major European trophy at the end of it. It's just so Chelsea, isn't it? So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, who knows? Yeah. No, who knows? They, they know how to win, though, don't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. They, they, they never win many friends, do they, Chelsea? No, no. but, but they do know how to win. Do you think Sarri to Juventus is best for all concerned? I do. I think that Chelsea supporters have driven Sarri out of the club. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Because if you judge him... I, I haven't enjoyed a lot of Sarri's tactics because I think he's, he's a bit of a one-trick pony. I'd like to see a bit more variety. He's easily negated, I think, if you get your game plan right. So he's flawed as a coach. But bottom line is, two cup finals. He's won a major trophy. He came third behind the two best teams in, in, you know, in recent memory. It's been a fantastic season. What are Chelsea fans moaning about? And, and Chelsea fans are moaning about the quality of the football, about not really liking him as a person or whatnot. They've, they're driving a very good manager out of the club and uh, they might have to be careful what they wish for because th- there are other, other alternatives, clearly, that could come in and do, do just as well. But, but We they, spoke on here last they, week they might get Frank it Lampard. They might get it wrong. I mean, it's obvious, Frank Lampard, but <laughs> it's the obvious link. But look... Coach to coach, Sarri has so much more experience um, at the highest level than Frank Lampard. It, it would have to be seen as a huge downgrade to go to Lampard. It's not to say that it wouldn't work, but in the, in the, in the short term, it would be a big downgrade. Well, I, 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 I'm a huge Frank Lampard fan. I think he's an incredibly yeah. smart guy, an articulate person, and probably a, an excellent coach of the yeah. future. But I, I've seen a bit of Derby this season. I was at the playoff final uh, 10 days ago, and... Uh, 
uh, a week ago, sorry, and there are still errors. There are still very hard to explain errors that he makes in his game planning, in his decisions, which you have to allow a young manager to make. You, you can't, you can't also, you, you can't take that manager at this point of his development and put him into a combustible situation like Chelsea is going to be and ask him to manage a summer where they're under transfer embargo. They've got a scenario, Chelsea, now where it's unlikely, but you, if, if someone said to you now, they're going to finish eighth next season. You, you, you sell Hazard, you don't replace him. Hudson Odoi is injured, Loftus Cheek is injured, Kante's future is a little bit tenuous, the defence has got, uh, got a few problems. I'm not sold on that goalkeeper still. And you put in a guy who is in his second year of management. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, he's a legend and he deserves to be. He's a Chelsea icon, will be forever. But that doesn't mean that in five years' time the job won't be there for him no, when exactly. he's. You know, it, it's just necessary. If he gets, if he, if Lampard is the man to replace Sarri, he gets the job on name, not name only, mm. but he primarily gets the job on name. If you're looking for candidates, I mean, Farker and, and Wilder oh, yeah. are stronger candidates than, yeah. than, than Lampard, but they, they wouldn't be, yeah. they wouldn't be on the list. So, so it would be a, it would be an emotional appointment rather than what you'd call a, a sensible one. But that's not to say it couldn't work because I, I do think Frank Lampard is a. He's a really good person, a great manager, yeah. a great potential manager. And he has got those traits that we were t- talking about with Klopp and Pochettino, mm. where he relates to the players. I think he's very good in that regard. He's a very good communicator. And I think it's Brilliant. interesting like, um, the reaction he's got out of players like someone like Mason Mount this season. Mount, I, I think, is probably the most gifted young player in the country. Mm. And Lampard, and let's not forget Jody Morris in this because mm. he's a very fine coach too. Mm. But Lampard has the ability to get players like that to respond to him. And... That's a very important quality, and with Chelsea sort of yeah. you know, growing classes, that's going to be just a quick one well, on, on Chelsea. We, we, if we all agree it's been a successful season, yep. think what they might do, and this is going against what I'm saying about Sarri leaving with the fans driving them out. Think what that group of players might have been able to achieve if they were happier. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all assuming that they weren't happy from for the bulk of that season, and they've still been successful. So get someone in that can galvanise the group maybe um, they can be much, much closer to the top two. OK, talking of galvanising a group, and I suppose we're going to, you know, we've already intruded into Seb's private grief. <laughs> Let's get, your, get yours oh, out no. of the way. Yeah, oh, no. Can uh, I, I be part of that one too? <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal. Yeah. That's going to be a total rebuild job, isn't it? I hope so, personally. I do feel that win, lose or draw in Baku, Arsenal needed a major rebuild this summer. So it's not a knee-jerk reaction by any stretch of the imagination. I think that there are six to eight players that that need to leave to open the door for either younger players to emerge and to come through or for, for sensible, smart acquisitions to come in and, and shine. So, no, this is, this is the biggest eight weeks in Unai Emery's career, I think, in terms of who he sanctions, moves for, ins and outs, mm-hmm. because um, they have to get it right. Arsenal. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge summer ahead. They have to be very creative. And above all else, I think I'm not alone in this as a follower of Arsenal. Most Arsenal fans are very keen for Unai to be ruthless this summer. It's no, it's, it's no time for sentiment. He has to, he has to have a cull. Mm. Same sort of question I asked you about Pochettino. Will Emery get the backing he deserves and needs? Because if you look at Arsenal under Stan Kroenke... Mm-hmm. The business plan comes first. Do you mean back in the sense of the fans or the organisation, Mike? The organisation and also the finances. Uh, financing, no, by all accounts, because it's, um, I'm hearing a fee of about sort of £45 million as a sort of uh, transfer budget of the summer, which now is just not sufficient to compete in the top six. 
Um, I think Emery, um, politically, he's, he's very smart. He's, uh, he's someone that seems to not challenge the hierarchy, if that makes sense. Um, and I also, look, I mean, I, I, there are realists within, um, within, uh, within Arsenal's um, footballing structure. What's happened this season is not really attributable to him. He's made mistakes and he's made errors. Um, there were some very poor team selections towards the end of the season, particularly against Crystal Palace, um, which still don't sort of bear any kind of scrutiny. But I think you have to give this guy, if he is your manager, you have to give him the opportunity to construct a team that is his. At the moment, he is just a different coach coaching Arsene Wenger's squad generally. Mm. I, agree, I do agree. Just, I do agree. He's, he's, he's had a, a solid start. Made mistakes, definitely. Um, but you can only work with what you're given. And mm. the squad w- was just not good enough in terms of the makeup, the structure of it. There aren't enough characters. There aren't enough tough players mentally in, in the team. There are players that have had bad habits for, for too long that just need to leave and, and, and for a wave of newcomers to come in. What I would do in his shoes is, is build the team around the front two, keep those two guys happy and work backwards, basically. Just just construct a team. And I think a lot of Arsenal fans are of this mindset now. Construct a team that is hard-working, tough, young, spirited and go from there and and and, and hope that the talent of the guys up just, top will, will, will help them prevail, mm-hmm. give them a platform to, to move forward. Absolutely. I mean, Adrian, I, I think one of the most helpful things at the moment would just be a kind of a general acceptance. We are not going to be a top four team for probably three or four years. And I know there are financial implications with that, but that would create the environment whereby you could construct something semi-long-term. You know, you could give players... Gwendouzi is an OK player, maybe a very good one in the future. You could give players the leeway to develop, to make mistakes, to have bad games, but you could see some sort of momentum or some general direction taking shape, which, which creates a differentiation uh, with, with the, the Wenger era. And I think that's really important for Arsenal. Mm. Speaking of the Wenger... Era or well, the man himself, yeah. you know, he was over in yeah. London last week. I miss him. I must admit, you know, I'm an unashamed admirer. Yeah. When you look at him, is he, you know, is he being wasted at the moment? <laughs> and here's one for you. I don't think this will ever happen. Yeah. What about him as a director of football at Man United? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, no, it can never happen. <laughs> it can never happen. That. But but look, if they were looking for the strongest candidate irrespective of their previous allegiances. He'd have to be right up there, wouldn't he? Mm. He's got the contacts, he's got the knowledge. He, um, yeah, I mean, he would be make a wonderful director of football. It's a pity, really, that it's not deemed right that he could do that at Arsenal. I mean, they're looking for a technical director. I think it's not possible, really. You do have to he move away from that. He always hated the idea of it, didn't he? Yeah. He always, like, he, he, he'd always say, right, the, the day you appoint a director of football is the, the day before yeah. I leave the club. Yeah. So it would be a very interesting bit of hypocrisy. You just, you'd imagine if he, did, if he got that role at Arsenal, then, yeah, the, the problem with that Fergie issue that, that, that United have got would, would happen at Arsenal. So, so now he is wasted. He's a fantastic pundit. I'd like to see him on English TV, I have to say. I mean, he works for, for overseas broadcasters at the moment. He speaks amazingly. And what people don't realise when they see him in the post-match interviews is he always come across quite grumpy, didn't he? <laughs> um, but, but for the limited time that I got to know him, he's just a really uh, charming person. Also a, intelligent, a, a, a really naturally extremely intelligent. intelligent. So, so no, he, he would make a great director of football. Um, but Manchester United have got a big job on, haven't they? I think what they need is someone that's an expert in that role, someone that's succeeded in that role before, but flanked by a, by a Rio or a, an ex-player. Yeah. Just have a... I, I'm not against having a little team. 
little team that are, are strategising for, for United's future. But I think it has to compose of some at least one person that's done that job before. Mm. It's not. A, it's not a simple. We're almost back to the Frank Lampard situation, aren't we? It's not as simple as okay. He knows the club. These people know the club. Let's give them a. Th- let's form the club, them into. It's not that big a deal. Is no. it, to be honest. Mike, this is a profession. If you look at sort of the CVs of some of these people, Damien Kamoli's got a, a law degree. These are these are private sector occupations. They're not jobs for. Um, they could be jobs for footballers, but only footballers who have learnt the new discipline that's involved in this because he is a, yes, he is a spotter of talent. He is an organiser of broad football philosophy, but he was also an overseer of analytics departments, recovery and strength and conditioning. This is a proper occupation. It's not a, I'll have a go at that, please, kind of job. So you need the specialist in there. You can, you can as we said, you can supplement him with someone with you know, the club DNA, whatever that's worth. I'm sure it has a value somewhere. But you you need you need the specialist with the actual skills to do the job. Yeah, be interesting. I, you know, I, I think Wenger would have been a great international manager, yeah. uh, which is a hackney way of getting to our last question, which is actually a very hackney question as well, to do with the Nations League. Yes. Football coming home. <laughs> Can we claim that if we win the Nations League? I don't know. Yeah, why yes, not? Yes, we will. Yes, yeah, we will. No, claim we will, that. We'll yes. claim it, and I have faith. That we'll win this and uh, we, we can all go on our summer holidays uh, feeling 10 feet tall. Yeah, absolutely. And then the best of those four teams, definitely. Well, why not? Let's all get carried away, shall we? Uh, it's effectively a four-team tournament, but the future seems very bright. Thanks for joining us here on the Football Writers Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big-